Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome on to an episode where we're going to continue to talk about the trade deadline because despite spending more than two hours recording, I still had more things that I wanted to get to. More of a historical bent to this one, the ghosts of trade deadlines past. We want to talk about whether this hardened trade actually worked out okay for the Nets, what we thought at the time, how that changed. Look back on the Porzingis trade for the Mavs as well. And then finally, answer the question of whether this trade deadline was the most exciting, impactful, however you want to classify it, trade deadline ever. So let's just catch up a little bit on some of the reporting here out of Brooklyn since the deadline, now that we've heard from some of the principals, haven't heard from Harden or Simmons yet, of course. And we do know now that everyone, physicals are all done. So that part of the process is clear. Now, when the players actually start playing for their new teams is an open question, and it is a different question for some of the individuals involved. Yeah, it is. And looks like there's a possibility that Curry and Drummond could be available for Brooklyn's next game. However, we don't really know when Ben Simmons is going to be arriving. And it occurred to me over the weekend as I was thinking about it, and I probably should have thought of this earlier, that Ben Simmons obviously is owed, at least in his mind, $17 million from Philadelphia. They have withheld his paychecks understandably so perhaps Uh, he has claimed that he is mentally unable to play that's going to go to an arbitration and the standard there is whether Simmons withheld playing services without basically a reasonable excuse is the standard in the actual CBA so Ben Simmons if he just showed up and played in Brooklyn's next game he might still be able to make the argument that yeah you know what it was just this toxic work environment in Philadelphia and I just you know I had this mental block about playing there and blah blah but it certainly at least would hurt his argument to get his money if he shows up and plays right away because that would basically mean hey I was capable of playing and I just didn't want to do it for Philadelphia that's something that would be a reasonable assumption he'll probably try to push back on that Uh, he may feel like he couldn't have played in Philadelphia and he can't play in Brooklyn but from a legal standpoint that's going to be a tough one for him to win because uh, unless there's real true documentation and supposedly he did not engage with the services that Philadelphia tried to get him. He didn't really try to make the effort to get back onto the court for Philadelphia either. You know, I mean, that I think that would be a big part of that as well, whether you actually made documented efforts to get back and play for this team, which it seems like he really did not, you know, and his performance and practice the few times that he was in there certainly would, would indicate that that's the case. And so, yeah, if maybe if you could say, hey, I tried everything I could. And then, you know, as soon as I tried to like dress and go out in the game, like I, I just like couldn't mentally do that. Like, okay, but he never really, I think, made much effort in that regard. And so 
the only thing that he might be able to argue is, hey, I just, I couldn't mentally play at all for anybody. And so if he's just like, oh yeah, snap your fingers as soon as you get to Brooklyn, I'm fine and plays, that really hurts his argument to get a 17 million, which I don't think he'll get anyway, honestly. But I don't think but he will either, but him missing extended time hurts the Nets. Kevin Durant being out and then Kyrie Irving only being partially available. So it is a real tight rope to walk and you obviously if Ben Simmons is going through genuine mental health issues we sympathize with that and acknowledge it but the unusual circumstances here persist because it gets into this awkward situation with the dynamic between him and the Sixers and then the dynamic between Simmons and the Nets and so we will have to keep an eye out on how that bears out and the arbitration all that I don't know I don't know if there is a timeline on that but it'll also be it will be a challenging process let's put it that way do you want to go from there to the subsequent like the the additional reporting we have now on the negotiations and all that fun stuff well yeah and i guess the last thing about simmons before we do that is just that there's no real understanding when he's going to play I mean, he has the all-star break hopefully he can ramp up it's just but th- this is just a reminder that ben simmons is no sure thing either and and so then we do get into some of this reporting and it seems very clear from the reporting in part that Harden got a little bit of a bad shake in the reporting because he didn't have an agent and and in fact Woja Ramona's piece basically said Harden's conversations with various agents and third parties returned to Brooklyn quickly which happens when you seek professional advice without paying for it which is true he probably should have made sure that he had an agent if he wanted to try this or maybe not because he actually got what he wanted in the end but he didn't necessarily win the PR battle I mean if I had to pick you know between the three principal figures here of Kyrie Simmons and Harden I wouldn't say any of them are particularly sympathetic at least in this point in time but i would say i sympathize the most with james harden out of those three but he has not gotten the he has not gotten that many pieces or like the, those sorts of nuggets that were sympathetic to him because there aren't really you know advocates for him in that sphere especially not who there's need for their job and that is there is a currency in in that world and that is a part of the business for better or for worse and that was a, a challenging a challenging element of this uh Woj and Ramona's piece also had a lot on the negotiations between Maury and Marx that provided some of the colorful stuff in in that piece I didn't think it was anything particularly juicy just you know stay on the phone and let's let's work all this stuff out yes Daryl Maury use some language big whoop and the Nets like we, we talked about it at the time well, the time meeting a couple days ago but it certainly appears from what the return was that the Sixers were most likely both but either more desperate to make the deal or more willing to give up their assets than we expected and I would say probably both yeah it would seem that that way and but they're, they're the ones who needed more I think for this season now it turned out as you reading Woj and Rona's piece and just by the sheer amount of noise that there was about this by the end that Harden really had checked out and that you know I was talking about how Brian was Brian Windhorst was making so much of that four-point game that Harden had against Sacramento and then missing the time with the hamstring and then he actually decamped to Houston for the trade deadline he didn't wasn't even with the team and so it seems clear that he had pushed it to want to get out. Mark Stein reported that he and Katie hadn't even really been speaking. Katie hadn't been around the team, obviously, as he was rehabbing his injury. So it did seem like Harden certainly pulled out all the stops to get out of there. And 
again i if i were dealing with the Kyrie situation the point was also made that it all kind of started to devolve when Kyrie came back like was actually started being around the team again and also obviously when KD went out and also when they started losing a bunch of games they've now lost 11 straight games despite Kyrie putting up 20 in the fourth against Miami the other day so that's about it that I had on the reporting. Let's go back to the original Harden trade now, which was about 13 months ago. I think it was January 12th of, so yeah, exactly 13 months ago of 2021. And what exactly were the terms of that deal? Again, just so we have it. We'll focus more on what the Rockets got in return because that was a four-team trade. Yeah. It would, they got back four first. Well, well so wait, shouldn't we, shouldn't we say what Brooklyn gave up? Yes, that's we it. No, that, what the Rockets received yeah. is kind of what Brooklyn gave up. You know, Yeah, I guess if we want to do it from what Brooklyn gave up. Yeah, because they didn't get Allen or Levert, Levert right. obviously, right? So, so it ended up being Allen and Levert, uh, three first-round picks, four pick swaps, that was about it, right? Yes. And then the Rockets chose a first-round pick over Jared Allen and Victor Oladipo over Karis Levert. Yeah. And Brooklyn also took on probably, you know, whatever it was, 8 to $10 million more in salary. Or, or, or And Houston did have to take what it ended up being Dante Exum. Brooklyn did get off of Torian Prince, which was bad salary. So that, that was a little bit of the value there as well. Good old Rody Kurix was in this deal. Remember when we thought he was going to be good? Um Good old Dante Exa was in so, the deal. Remember when I thought he was going to be really good? <laughs> so they gave up Levert, Allen, three first-round picks, four pick swaps. They now instead got Ben Simmons and two first-round picks, one of which is deferred. The other one is pretty lightly protected. Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. Plus, Those two well, even close to each plus, other? Yeah. Plus one year of James Harden services and the opportunity theoretically to retain it. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. And I, I mean, and we'll, we'll, I think we can get to that aspect of it. Sure. As well. Um, but if you're just going to compare those two things, assets out, assets in a year later, what do you make of that comparison? It's the, the swaps and the picks, that combination, you know, Drew Holiday, the what deal was a, was a similar time period and was a, a similar overall haul in terms of the combination of the two. Seth Curry, is a very good player i think he's going to help the nets more than a lot of those other things would have depending on how urgent the pre- how urgent the president is that depends on a lot of things including katie's availability but I, I think it's hard to argue that the return the nets received for harden at this deadline is superior to what they gave up to get him and that's a factor of time that's a factor of everything that has happened between between those two including the relationships breaking down and and everything else but yeah, they gave up an absolute ton and they got some of it back, but definitely not all of it. And then the other big element of this in terms of like you and I... T- well, well, so can, can I weigh in on, on the of comparison course. first? Well, I was going to get into the, the, the like, oh, okay. whose who's future you're mortgaging on, but that's a part of this. We can... we can, we can. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, as I really go through it, it's actually a little closer than I thought. Now, let's keep in mind, you know, Levert ended up getting traded again for a first and a good second later. Obviously, Jared Allen, who we weren't as high on has been an all-star consideration this year would he have blossomed as much with Brooklyn eh, d- tough to tell but also if they had just held on to KD and Kyrie around you know with Allen you know he probably could have blossomed at that point they would it wasn't necessarily how they wanted to play I think they wanted to play more with a five out system with those two guys um but obviously a guy who had a ton of value would have had to be re-signed for 20 million a year probably which wasn't something they necessarily felt like they 
could have afforded at at the moment um so you know if that's a lot of value then you get the three first round picks and the four swaps but you get back the two from philly uh i would imagine you know i'm gonna say the the philly and the brooklyn picks are about equal as of now that's the swaps obviously could hurt more so later on uh but they also got ben simmons now and you know i think most people would have thought that if you just traded flotsam for ben simmons he's worth at least two first round picks seth curry is probably worth a first round pick making eight million a year the way he's played i would say so yeah this year yeah so it's actually it's not that different and they also you know they they still have the ability to maybe get more with these other picks like it's it's possible that they could end up in as good of a spot now than if they had just never done the deal at all like that's possible it all depends of course on what happens with uh one ben simmons and how well he plays like it's i was expecting to go into this and be like oh man what a disaster like they I can't believe they screwed this up. It's actually, it's not that different. And then when you look at the price of potentially, you know, they were in position to win the championship last year. I think going into the playoffs, I thought they probably had the best team. Although, you know, I I picked them to beat the Bucs in seven before everyone got hurt. That was after, of course, they completely destroyed the Celtics. But also more importantly, it's after the Lakers and the Clippers both went down as well you know either of those teams had they been fully healthy I think could have given that full Brooklyn team a run for their money as well so I think they still going into last year's playoffs or or certainly maybe even if you're looking back at the time they made the trade if you're just going to judge what that team was versus what you would have reasonably thought all the other teams were going to be that you know they probably had a 30 40 percent chance of winning the championship but then you also have to consider too that Kyrie was like away from the team right that was a piece of context i had forgotten about the the january 2021 harden trade is that Kyrie irving had been away from the team for personal reasons for the past week and they weren't sure what was going on there so the need to get a second player around kevin durant who was having a fabulous bounce back year that was his first his first year after the after recovering from injury and I, i wanted to give harden's so you can Harden played 80 regular season games for the Brooklyn Nets. So almost exactly a season, just over two seasons. And the overall stats on that, 23 points a game, 10 and a half assists, 8.2 rebounds per game. And then if you prefer more advanced stats, 23 PER, 60% true shooting. That true shooting is almost the same as he had in both OKC and Houston. Plus... 28.4 usage, which is lower, of course, than he had on the Rockets, but it was a very different team. So an extremely productive player. And we wondered about his place in the All-NBA conversation this year. And then you think about the context of what he was for the Nets last year. It's, I would say, overall, despite the slow start to this season, Harden was about the level of player that I expected that I expected for this one year of time. And the only huge disappointment there is the unavailability in the playoffs. And that's that's not really like his fault or anything. It's just bad faith that happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, part of it is maybe because they had, he had such a big workload sure. with KD being out. I mean, they, you know, they didn't know that KD was going to have this hamstring issue that would linger for as long as it did. And hey, also, by the way, you know, the, the Nets would not have been the number two seed if they don't trade for Harden last year. If it's just Kyrie and these guys with KD out, I don't think that they would have been the number two seed, even even when you account for the fact that nobody was really pushing that hard in the East in the regular season last year. 
And I, I will now own that I hated this deal for the Nets. I gave him a D minus when we talked. Loved it for the Rockets. I mean, that's I think they made the right move, obviously. But uh, And my concern was that it was just, I thought they needed to get better defensively. I thought Kyrie and KD, with all the shooting they had, would take care of their, their offense. I think they had like a plus 14 net rating at the time of the trade when both KD and Kyrie were on the floor. And... So I was just like, I didn't really understand doing this because I was worried about maybe the future contract of Harden as well. And like, I actually thought this trade might even make them worse last year. I don't think that proved to be the case. Um, you know, we don't know exactly what that team would have looked like in the playoffs in the end, but I think they had a really good team and it just obviously didn't work out from a health standpoint last year with those three guys. Uh, I also killed them for not getting PJ Tucker in that deal that I thought that that really helped them a lot. Well, and he also helped their prime competition beat them in the playoffs and the price. I mean, obviously Houston was holding out for more. And I mean, it's not like the Nets couldn't have like the Nets literally gave up everything that they possibly could just about in that trade. But it seemed to me like getting Tucker would have been something that should have happened. And maybe the salary matching was messed up there. Houston was just like, no, we're like, ultimately they didn't negotiate it well enough. They were scared that he was going to go to Philly and Houston did a great job of playing Brooklyn and Philly off. And so that's the deal that they ended up getting. But I, I thought that given that they given up everything that getting PJ Tucker would have been just so massive for these guys. And they would have had full bird rights and they could have retained him, which they couldn't do for Jeff Green. By the way, someone that I think the Nets really missed this year because um, they've just been so shooting challenged. And I think in hindsight, even knowing that the deal blew up in less than a year and Harden was gone, I still think I was way too low on the trade in the end because I did at least say this during that pod. Well, if it doesn't work out, they can at least trade Harden again. And now they've done that, and we'll see. But I, I think like they, they had the option to do that. Now, they could have been forced to just hold on to Harden and pay him a $50 million a year contract. And then have to trade instead, him. Instead, or just lose him. Yeah, and then have to trade him as well. Um, well so and, they did, and I mean, Harden factor, did them a huge favor they, by asking They got the best year that we would have expected from Harden. You know, like the idea that because yeah. he's an older player, each year you expect to be worse. It's, this is age 32 season. They didn't have to give him that contract. You know, th- it's a little bit different than what we were originally anticipating anticipating which is you're not committing to Harden but the expectation is that you're going to have him for five six years where you and I were much more skeptical of how his game would age than how good of a player he is right now and was a year ago and what's more I think they did manage to have a slightly better defense and I thought I thought their defense would be atrocious and it was decent and actually pretty good in the net series although worth noting that a lot of that took place without Harden on the floor their defense kind of fell apart when he came back which you know he was playing on one hamstring but he always kind of defends like that so I don't know any other thoughts kind of as we look back on this this whole thing historically I, I guess you can also praise Philly for um well I mean yeah do you praise Philly for not putting in more I mean like not putting in Tyrese Maxey I think you probably ultimately would have to given the way that Maxey has blossomed this year well okay so I can I think you can criticize you mean for not putting him in last year Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. Then, when they were going for when it was try, they were trying to trade Simmons for Harden. Here's the, yes, you getting Maxi, having Maxi is a, is a very good thing for them. But they also would have had Harden this Harden instead of Simmons last year, and Harden instead of Simmons, I guess you could say this year as well. There is a lot of utility for the Philadelphia 76ers in that now, and also theoretically, you've gotten at that point a lot more information on Harden's fit, which well, indeed, they will get a lot of that information 
option now. But before you make that next contract, maybe you had a better, you got to see how it works in the playoffs and everything else. And they will get some of that. Hopefully both of those individuals are bring the playoffs. And Zach Lowe talked about this on the, uh, I think, what I can't remember the name of what they called their trade deadline special for ESPN, that the Nets, the Nets is this theoretical team, because unfortunately, such a significant part of their legacy, unlike the Heatles, unlike the Warriors, and even if you wanted to say the LeBron AD Lakers as kind of these, you know, superstar team ups, we got to see them actualize. We got to see them go up against really good teams at full strength or damn close to it. And the Nets will remain this enigma that split apart. And you could argue in some ways it's split apart because of every, you know, like the unusual circumstances surrounding these years in, in kind of human life. And, you know, like if Kyrie, if there isn't a vaccination for Kyrie Irving to decide on, how differently does all of this go? If those players... Uh- I, I kind of I kind of feel like Kyrie Irving would have found a way to fuck it up anyway. For sure, and I, that's a part of what like Joe the piece that Joe Varden wrote was tied to talk about is the the fundamental incongruity between especially it seems like Harden and Kyrie, but you could argue all three of them together, almost any configuration yeah. thereof. I, I, I mean, they all they all are uh, shall we say quirky personalities. I mean, KD is like the stable one here, <laughs> you know, like and and, and he's uh, his moodiness has been and well documented. That actually- is one other point on all of this that I I think about a fair amount. I've I've talked about it with you know with friends when we've been talking about the trade and everything else is. I'm not saying Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was justified in making the move away from the Warriors. He can do whatever the hell he wants. And he has been phenomenal when he's been able to play. And the Brooklyn Nets, if they were healthy last year, I think they would have won the championship. It serves as a reminder that part of what we love about basketball is that these are human beings through and through. And it can be hard when you are connecting and making a choice to bind yourself to other human beings for well or for ill of how those things can go right and how those things can go wrong. And Kevin Durant could have chosen the Nets for a wide variety of reasons. I firmly believe that he did. But will he have a real chance now of winning a championship again? It's certainly possible. But would I say it's probable? Mm, I don't know. Well, I mean, if if Kyrie were able to play in the playoffs and Ben Simmons is ready to go, it, they're pretty formidable still. It, it's And obviously, KD comes back. The other thing that I'll add here too, and we're also dealing with this with their glamour counterparts on the other coast, is this Nets team, I've said it before, I was saying it even during the playoffs when KD was playing 48 minutes. This is basically the most player-empowered team that has ever been. And there have even, you know, there's that, the book about them that even claimed that you know players girlfriends are just getting paid money and stuff that's never been substantiated as far as i know but basically what kd wanted he was kind of getting and same thing with the lakers right like lebron ad like those guys pushed to acquire russell westbrook they pushed for a lot of the moves that took place and i think players are the most important they bring the most value they should have the most power absolutely like that's that certainly makes more sense for them to have power than for owners who don't really provide anything other than a check 
they're, nobody's paying to see the owners people are paying paying to see the players they're the one who drive revenue and drive championships they should have all the power that they want to have that's just how it should work they're not good at being general managers <laughs> they are just not and of course they're not they're not you know they just that's not what their job is right they don't scout the entire they scout to the extent that they know what they need to do against other players to be successful against them but they don't as far as knowing who's going to fit into their team and watching the, the nuances the nuances of the salary cap and trading draft picks and present versus future yeah so it's just this is just a reminder that like it is possible to go too far in in that direction and it's obviously a very difficult dance for management and for ownership on when to acquiesce on this stuff and when not to but i think both the lakers and the nets now maybe none of this if they didn't agree to have this be the situation maybe lebron's never there and ad is not there and they never win the 2020 championship and you know maybe kd and Kyrie aren't there and the nets are still this plucky good little story still looking for real star level talent but if you can just to the extent that you could push back on this <laughs> it's probably maybe you could use this as an example but obviously you know telling a superstar player no actually i'm sorry you don't know what you're talking about that's that's a tough conversation to have so let's uh return here now to what i wanted to look at which is the most interesting deadlines and where this most recent deadline ranks so as we go back let's call it trades basically within two weeks of the deadline i went back to the trade deadline in 1997 which was the best that i could find before that you know it, it wasn't necessarily this event you might have a big trade mid-season but it wasn't like you're gonna get this flurry of deals everyone it, it was this big deal in terms of coverage and all that stuff so here here are some interesting ones i i found we can kind of talk through these and i I'd, I'd forgotten many of these so 1999 didn't have anything that was huge but it did have one massive blockbuster at the time, which was the Wolves traded Stefan Marbury to the Nets where he was uncomfortable there. And the Wolves got Terrell Brandon, who was actually you know an all-star level player. And then one of the underrated things that killed the KG Timberwolves was Brandon basically was never healthy as soon as he got to the Wolves. And then the Nets traded Sam Cassell, essentially, and some draft picks. That's a huge, huge deadline trade. That's one of the the big early ones here. But that on its own, obviously, not going to compare to to this one. And, and then in 01, the Hawks traded Dikembe Mutombo and Rashawn McLeod to the Sixers for Theo Ratliff, Tony Kukoc, the great Nazi Muhammad, and Pepe Sanchez. That helped set the table for that Sixers team that made it all the way to the finals and the step over and everything else. Yeah, the Sixers were already i think the number one seed at that point with kukoc who they gotten from the bulls but then trading him for matumbo who i think was in the last year of his contract but then matumbo got uh run over by Shaq. uh but that was a big one matumbo was still kind of at the end of his all-star level of prime this next one though is huge this is one that probably swung a championship are you talking about rasheed wallace being traded to the atlanta hawks <laughs> yeah that was so weird wasn't it so and they got him for very little they got him for basically two firsts from the Pistons. And obviously that Pistons team played about as well as you could play after that trade. Maybe the greatest defense of all time. Completely shut down the Lakers. Shut down the Pacers as well, although they were almost as badly shut down themselves in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, that that was a huge one again, though. That was the only real so, major so one. I'll, that I'll walk through just a couple of interesting things from the Rashid Wall trades. The original trade was Sheed and Wesley Persons to the Hawks for Sharif Abdul Rahim, Dan Dickow, and Theo Ratliff. And then there were two picks 
in the in the overall the three team trade that brought Rasheed Wallace to the Pistons 10 days after the original Rasheed Wallace trade the two future picks taken one of them was an 04 first which ended up being 17th overall with that pick the Atlanta Hawks selected Josh Smith there was also a pick that went from the Pistons to the Celtics which was used for Tony Allen oh that's fascinating this is what happens when you go what's one of my favorite things about basketball reference is they include in hindsight who was taken with the pick not necessarily done by that team or anything else it's just that they traced that pick and what ended up happening to it and so josh smith and tony allen two two eventual nba impact players 2005 there were only really two impact deals but these are pretty big ones in the end the hornets traded baron davis to the warriors for dale davis speedy claxton and cash that's it yep wrote about it in my book he he is uh, well would you like to elaborate on that one well it was i don't remember everything that that whole process was a whirlwind but davis had he had a, a complicated relationship with the hornets at the time and his value was really at a low and even though yeah and he was on a max contract so the warriors were kind of desperate for a jolt and they got it in Baron Davis. That wasn't the year that ended up being the We Believe team. That was queued on by another another trade, which which have, which I don't think is on your list, but was that was the Stephen Jackson one in 07. Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's basically he was just a salary dump. Yep. And then he was and he was awesome for the Warriors overall. Now, of course, the Hornets then tanked and got Chris Paul in the 2005 draft. That worked out. And then the one that the is always cited by the as like oh the spurs never make in-season trades except for this one they got nazi muhammad and jameson brewer for malik rose and two future firsts but nazi muhammad was huge he was he was big against the pistons in the finals and they ended up winning a championship with his help so 08 i think this one this one is competition for this year First off, now this happened about three weeks before the deadline, but I'm going to count it anyway. Lakers acquire Pau Gasol in exchange for Kwame Brown, Javaris Crittenden, Aaron McKee, the rights to Marc Gasol, and two first-round picks who became Dante Green and Grievous Vasquez. And that everyone was crowing about how Memphis didn't really make Gasol available. And I think he was in the last year of his contract at the time. So there, that was part of it. And he could have just left. And the Grizzlies had been moribund for two seasons at that point. So, but this is kind of what guys used to go for. And also worth the rent, like two first round picks back then didn't mean what it means now. Like they are valued more now than they were back then so that was obviously massive they didn't win the championship that year but they made it to the finals after Andrew Bynum had gotten hurt and then of course they won two championships after that with Gasol less than a week later a former Laker changed teams again and that was when the Heat traded Shaq to the Phoenix Suns to become the big cactus in exchange for Sean Marion and Marcus Banks yeah that was I mean that was just a shocking trade at the time that was the last year of D'Antoni the idea Steve Kerr had come in as general manager relatively recently and he decided that they just needed to get bigger and tougher and they were going to play Amari and Shaq together now Phoenix did almost end up beating the Spurs in the playoffs should have won game one except for a miracle Tim Duncan shot a miracle Manu shot and I think there was another game that was really close they might have actually ended up getting swept in the end so maybe I shouldn't say they should have beaten them or maybe it was like a 4-1 but and then that was the end of the D'Antoni era but yeah this was moving out for Sean Marion which you know he was kind of he was not the same guy after he left and then remember the Heat of course were in the middle of a massive tank themselves that year they had 
weighed out for the year and ended up going like 15 and 67 and then they tanked and got michael beasley <laughs> as it turned out and then uh ended up dumping him to get more salary cap space to get lebron and and company so that tank ended up like not even doing anything for him and then they traded marion for jermaine o'neal but then they let all those guys walk in 2010 anyway but that was i would say that one like didn't really work out for either team but it was a huge trade at the time that was also the same deadline when the Kings traded Mike Bibby. They sent him to the Hawks for Sheldon Williams, Lorenzen Wright, Anthony Johnson, Teron Liu, and a second round draft pick. Yeah, Williams, I think, had been a number five overall pick a couple of years before, but basically was on his way to flaming out at that point. I don't know. He might have had like a little bit of value, but not much. I think he was another expiring contract at that point, Bibby. So Sacramento didn't have much leverage. And another franchise point guard changed hands, Jason Kidd, going from New Jersey jersey to dallas that was kid malik allen and antoine wright for keith van horn through one of that was one of those sign-in trades so they gave him because they had his they had his rights gave him money to kind of facilitate the trade devin harris trenton hassel maurice ager ager uh sagana job and two firsts which became ryan anderson and jordan crawford by the way one of those knicks picks and the uh, one of the spurs picks in the nazi muhammad trade became david lee just one yeah, so Jason Kidd, obviously, Sagana Jupp actually even contributed to that Dallas championship team. A lot of people really hated that deal at the time. Kidd was kind of on the downside moving into a new phase. And uh, I mean, Devin Harris looked for a time like he might actually just be better than Kidd. And then he just suffered like a bunch of injuries in a row. He was like playing it close to an all-star level when he first went to New Jersey and then just completely fell off. And obviously, New Jersey had like a 12-70 and 70 season shortly thereafter. Uh, and then this was also a big one where... The Cleveland was really struggling having made the finals the year before. So they ended up getting Ben Wallace, Joe Smith, both of whom were in their rotation. Danny Green, a second round pick in 2009, became Danny Green, although Cleveland never got anything from that. And Wally Zerbiak and Delonte West. So that actually made Cleveland a lot better. And they actually took the Celtics to seven. They had been, I think, under 500 before that point. And they traded away just like, you know, some guys who were underperforming. Daniel Marshall, Ira Nubel, remember him? Uh, hey, Larry Hughes. And, uh, hey, they Larry got rid of Larry Hughes, Hughes yeah. I don't think the URL still exists, but it's my favorite URL in the history of the world. Um, so what do you think? How, how does that one, I, I guess we can we can save well, it until the end, but that's that's up there in consideration. That's a lot and, of and guys. Espe- and I especially mean, because Pau Gasol is probably at the head of that list, really did. There were a lot of players that shaped things before that time, but there were also players that made a real impact on their teams after this time too. So it has, it has a lot of names. It doesn't have a lot of names at the peak of their powers, but still powerful. Yeah, I mean, and at the time, I think people realized that like just what a massive deal that was going to be, and it really made the Lakers the favorites. And you know, the Jason Kidd deal, I think that actually turned out to be bigger than I thought it would be at the time. You know, Bibby, he he had a nice little run for a couple of years in in Atlanta, helped them become a perennial playoff team, and then the Shaq Marion deal was. I mean, those was, I no, I don't think Shaq Shaq would have made the Ulster team in 07. I don't think he did in 08, but you know uh sean marion had been a, a big part of this this phoenix team too so i mean this it seemed pretty massive all these at the time um 2011 and now the this one all of these came within like a three-day period right and that started what started the dominoes was carmelo anthony going from denver to the knicks that massive deal that included gallinari and wilson chandler i believe two first round picks or was it a first and two seconds um 
I can't remember on the picks but yeah Gallo was a, was a big part of that Mozgov who Denver eventually got two first round picks for him later on uh yeah they, they also sent Chauncey Billups to New York too and then Billups ended up getting amnestied so they could sign Tyson Chandler the next offseason mm-hmm. and but yeah this was I mean I think everyone knows the Carmelo Anthony deal and it like kind of ended up not mattering that much like to, bro- champ- I mean, the to best championships team- it mattered to the arc of those two franchises yeah. of course Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, in Denver actually, you know, had that they're probably their best regular season in the George Carl era in '13, and then Galatorre's ACL, and then they lost to, of course, the Warriors, and then. The next day, Darren Williams gets traded to New Jersey. Derek Favors, who had just Devin been, who had Harris. just been the third pick in the draft, right? Yeah, New Jersey's 2011 first round pick, which everyone knew was going to be very high. That ended up being number three overall on his cancer, uh, and then a future first from Golden State, which ended up being the one that they desperately tanked to keep Harrison Barnes for. I think that's correct. And then so it ended up becoming the 21st pick in 2013, which was Gorgie Jack. Then this was nobody really thought that much of this one at the time, but this was fucking massive. Oh, my God. I went. Cleveland, so, I went so crazy. Cleveland had obviously lost LeBron. They still had Mo Williams and they had a bunch of they wanted to do a salary dump. Baron Davis, who had left in 08 from the Warriors to only to really disappoint back in LA having signed with the Clippers, they wanted to get off of his salary, which I think only had one year left on it, but was, you know, a max country. It was huge. And they traded their 20, the Clippers traded their 2011 first round pick unprotected, which only had, in the end only had a 1.8% chance of becoming the first pick, although it obviously could have bumped in the top four as well. I think it was around, slated to be around eight or ninth is about what they thought, which is still a lot to trade just in a pure salary dump. And of course, that became Kyrie Irving. On top of that, Donald Sterling did that salary dump a year before the amnesty provision when, yes, he still would have had to pay Baron Davis, but it wouldn't have been on their books. So it worked out really well for Gilbert. That's right. Then this was a big one, the Kendrick Perkins trade. Basically, Kendrick Perkins for Jeff Green and a first from the Thunder, which became the late Fab Mello. So that and that was always controversial. Oh, he can't he gave up Kendrick Perkins. That was but he had torn his ACL and really wasn't ever the same after that. Uh he tore it in, in game six in the twenty ten finals. And so that that was big, obviously. I mean, I think in the end, Kendrick Perkins probably ended up hurting the Thunder more than he helped. But I mean, he the, he gave them some toughness and they did make the finals in his first year, but then he really never contributed after that. And he was uh, on the floor getting absolutely destroyed by the Heat small ball lineups because Scott Brooks would never take him out in the finals. So that one, but st- still a pretty big one. Uh, and then this one was crazy. I, I'd forgotten about this one, Danny. Look who gave up the pick in this one. The Suns did. Um, they traded. So this was Aaron Brooks for Goran Dragic and a lottery protected first round pick. Yeah. So the Suns gave up Goran Dragic and a first for Aaron Brooks, who then basically only played the rest of that year and then ended up going to, is still in 2011, ended up going to China during the lockout, came back, was really never the same guy. And they get like, 
to think that Aaron Brooks was considered that much more valuable than Goran Dragic at that time is is pretty remarkable. Also, because I know you'll appreciate it, the pick in that deal became Nikola Mirotic, who who didn't who didn't play for years, but was was a part of that. And that wasn't the only huge move that happened in that deal. I remember this one at the time: Shane Battier and Ish Smith going from Houston to Memphis for Thabit, Damari Carroll, and a first round pick, which was 2023. I'm trying to remember what year that actually. I think it conveyed in 20. Sorry, 2013. I think it actually conveyed that year. Yeah, so, and... Oh, it did. Memphis, yeah. Andre Robertson. (laughs) All these fun names. So, Battier goes to Memphis and helps them upset the Spurs in the first round that year, and then Battier would leave as a free agent and go sign with the Heat and help them win two championships. Then a deal that only really becomes important in hindsight. Brandon Wright was... Always a hard figure for the Warriors because they traded Jason Richardson for him, basically. And then when they ended up moving Brandon Wright, it was also partially to take on Troy Murphy. But they did get a second round pick in the deal, not for 2011, but for 2012. That became a little someone named Draymond Green. (laughs) So, I mean... But the the Warriors' far bigger bigger deal for those teams, I would argue in some ways, was the next year. Just because, I mean, Draymond is hugely important, more important than the guys in the next one. But that was, you know, that was years before it wasn't, it wasn't like the Kyrie Irving thing. Yeah. But this 2011 one, that's up there too. There's a lot of, uh, although, yeah, I mean, there isn't, I don't think there is any one deal other than the Draymond one. I don't think any of these actually, well, I, I guess you could say that the Kyrie one. It's this that, is this is a really interesting 20, 2011 is a fascinating at the time versus how things played out because Carmelo to the Knicks felt like an earthquake. Darren Williams to the Nets felt like an earthquake. It was just that those teams never materialized in the way that those front offices hoped that they would. And those deals had impact for the teams that were trading away their cornerstones. You know, that was those guys ended up being important to the Jazz run, even if they ended up upgrading at center off of both Favors and Cantor. And then Denver, as you said those were useful pieces though not necessarily the entire core of the next era of nuggets team so 2012 this one is not going to be a contender but worth noting the andrew bogut trade uh monte ellis for andrew bogut essentially uh this one danny is close to your heart though just because it spawned uh some terminology yeah amin al hassan and i recording a podcast talking about talking about the idea that nene was signed was that Masai? Yeah, Yeah, it was was Masai Ujiri, signed by the Nuggets and then traded for positive value. It ended up being JaVale McGee and Roni Turioff in the same year. And so the idea that um, I, I, that I think Amin and I just generally take co-credit for it was, was the idea of is a contract player plus contract positive or negative value. And so it's the Nene test because it happened so incredibly quickly after the deal was signed. And then the other huge one, which I'm sure somebody could dig back if, if the records are good enough and find the piece that I wrote just absolutely rampaging on the New Jersey Nets for the for the Gerald Wallace trade like that they gave up this pick thinking like oh you know it's not going to be anything important and began to get Gerald to get Gerald Wallace who wasn't even you know this is the year after the Darren Williams trade they thought he might be the last piece he most certainly was not and that became just some dude named Damian Lillard yeah 
Well, the, the, it was fine for the Nets because they only liked three guys in the oh draft, my so God. it was okay as long as it was top three protected. By, by the yeah, way, but oh, I mean that, I, I that can't was a I move. This. We were so you, as you were kind of working on this, I was thinking back. I was I was looking thinking back on the the trade that became the Kyrie Irving, the Baron Davis one. Neil O'Shea is the one who executed that trade. Now it was more of a Donald Sterling save money deal, but the non protections on that deal, you know, to a lot of to some degree, that falls on the general manager who ended up drafted. Who ended up being, you know, he didn't. I don't think he drafted. Lord, but was you know the architect of a lot of yeah and worth noting as well for billy king the reason they made that trade was so because darren william was a free agent in the summer of 2012 and they needed to appease him and get him to stay so 2015 this one again we don't need to get into this too much it's probably not really a contender but the uh, i uh, it's recent enough that i think we can just refer to them in shorthand here but the suns trade isaiah thomas to the celtics having just signed him when they signed the three they had three point guards uh in that 14 offseason so they just traded him for the Cavs 2016 first rounder um there was the crazy trade that we thought was really consequential and turned out to not be that consequential Brandon Knight from the Bucks to the Suns Michael Carter Williams from the Sixers to the Bucks and Philly got the Lakers first round pick that was top five protected and ended up rolling over getting traded a bunch of times and then I think finally led to actually being back in Phoenix with Mikhail Bridges in 2018. The vaunted Lakings pick. Oh yeah, what part of what eventually became, became the Lakings part, pick. The, the part of the Lakings? Well, actually no, because it was the Lakings pick eventually became the 14th overall selection. That I think they picked Romeo Langford with that. The Boston. Oh, team. I think you're right. Boston is the one that had the That's Lakings right. pick. Thank you. Uh, but it, but in any event, yeah. So that was the biggest consequence of that trade in the end. It was and I mean Philly definitely got the best value there, but that also I think was that trade to me was a big part of why Sam Hinkie ended up getting fired. They traded um, the reigning rookie of the year. Right. Right, right. Um, and then Goran Dragic for two first-round picks from the Suns to the Heat, two unprotected first-round picks. Um, and then the Reggie Jackson trade, which brought back Kyle Singler and Ennis Cantor. Uh, and they had already traded for Deion Waiters earlier in that uh in that but it was a little too early to qualify as a deadline trade then in 2016 is a nick contender and then 2017 so now we're 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 in the dunked on era at this point yeah um and so that was you, you and i actually did a pod on the 2015 trade deadline for real gm radio like a month month and a half before dunked on start that sounds that 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 sounds right i was uh i would recommend nobody listen to the audio quality <laughs> of that pod because I was recording it just like with my computer mic in my like unbelievably echoey one bedroom apartment in Walnut Creek that I just I, I had like no idea like what audio quality was or anything at, none and, of us did uh, I was in DC at the time I guess that's right yeah. huh yeah so 2017 2017 the Nurkic Plumlee trade Yusuf Nurkic and a first round pick to the Blazers for Plumlee a second round pick and cash yeah there was also the DeMarcus Cousins trade which seemed like the Kings got very little they like desperately wanted Buddy Heald then there was also a first round pick involved which was number 10 overall they then traded that to get justin jackson and harry giles moving down from 10 to 15 and 20 10 was zach collins that was a little bit of a sad trade uh in I mean, the end could have been um, mitchell but alas alas uh and the lakers traded lou williams to the rockets for a first the suns traded pj tucker to the raptors for two seconds although then tucker left to go to the rockets in the offseason and the campaign trade taj gibson and doug mcdermott for campaign basically which was a 
rather inexplicable trade Th- thank, for the thank Bulls because the not, Bulls gave up the second. Thank you for not mentioning all three players in the trade. <laughs> Uh, then 2019, some pretty good stuff there. The Porzingis trade, the Tobias Harris trade, the Harrison Barnes trade from, from Dallas, Dallas to which Sacramento. Was, yeah, the Marcus Gasol going to Toronto was pretty big, and then Nikola Mirotic to the Bucks as well from the Pels. 2020 was pretty quiet comparatively, and then 21 was really the Orlando Magic driving the bus. Vooch going from the Magic to the Bulls, Aaron Gordon going from the Magic to the Denver Nuggets, and then the Norm Powell for Gary Trent Jr. trade. Yeah, and then this year, just to refresh, we've got Harden and Simmons. We got the Savonis Halliburton. I'd say that's probably number two in terms of impact here. We've got the CJ McCollum trade, number three. I was saying, by the way, I wanted to say this here. I, I mentioned this with John the other day. People in Portland, like, they're not thinking about the the pick that they got back from the Pels in the right way because it's so rare that any of these are actually like lottery picks right and if you think of what it takes to move up into the lottery you're basically you're talking about they basically got two first or two first rounders for CJ like what would normally it's, like of the type of first rounders that are normally we, traded we talked about it more in the in the context of the Halliburton Sabonis trade where they got a single asset that was better than the potentially two weaker assets that we expect yeah, so that was big. Porzingis, obviously, that, that's, you know, we'll see how big that one ends up being. And then you had a couple other small ones, like the Powell Covington trade to the Clippers and Karis LeVert. I mean, that's six pretty big deals. But, you know, I would say three of those are like, you know, the CJ one didn't involve an all-star, but it's still a pretty big one. So how did, I, I think our two competitions here for this and, and so the And so are, the argument is that the Harden trade occurred too early and thus was not in the window. Yeah. Oh, for 2021? Because yeah. it was in January. It was uh, in January. Well, well, and not only was it in January, but it was within a month of the start of the season. Yeah, because the season was delayed. That's right. Because remember, the trade deadline was March 25th right. last year. I did not remember that, but that sounds right. Uh, it's been a long time. So, <laughs> oh, it's actually been less How time dare you? than it would have been. How if, dare you correct me been. when you are correct? <laughs> Uh, so I think our two years of competition here are 08 and 2011 for 2022. I think is it is clearly in the top three as of now. And we don't know, obviously, how this is all going to turn out. I would have 08 third in that group. Yes, Pau Gasol's presence on the Lakers swung and swung a number of championships. They were firmly in the mix in 08 and then won it in 09 and 2010. But that was post peak of their powers, Shaq and Kidd. And Kidd, you know, helped the Mavericks win a championship eventually, but wasn't the driving force behind behind that it didn't shift the power in it so for me the top two and you can disagree of course is 2011 and 2022 yeah i mean and so much of it depends too on you know what is tyrese halliburton going to become you know if he becomes like a multiple time all-star we'll look back on this in a few years like oh that was a massive trade harden and simmons I mean, that could just be a total dud, right? Like, what if Ben Simmons just, like, kind of doesn't really play or he's terrible or Harden gets hurt or something? And, and you know, n- both of these teams could still not even make it to the conference finals this year, you know, and maybe would never make it to a conference finals. We'll see. Like, I think I I think I still, this will be a subject of much greater conversation. I know you and Matt Moore talked about this already on Real GM Radio of just, you know, what the what the hell the East is now. Um but I think as I th- as I think about it now, I probably would favor Milwaukee and Miami over either of those two teams. But obviously, that can change once we see them in action. Um, I think, to, and, and then 2011, you know, at the time, nobody knew that that Baron Davis trade was going to result in Kyrie, right? Like that's that's kind of the one that I think pushes 2011 over the top. 
is that there ended up being a trade that immediately became the number one pick a few months later and that it was Kyrie Irving who was a, you know a hall of fame player who swung a championship obviously himself yeah and then I mean I this one obviously you know a second round pick that became Draymond Green you know that's and and, and it's, there are probably it's, other it's nuggets kind, like that in there too somewhere it's kind of unfair to give 2011 credit for that when 2022 hasn't had the opportunity yet to have a afterthought pick in a deal become a really good player because we those picks haven't become sure. players yet yeah but it, but of course there was still the the Darren Williams and the mellow trade I mean the mellow trade was just so massive as well just in terms of the sheer number of people involved and it's worth noting you know Darren Williams was you know a top 10 to 15 NBA player at that time and would remain so for another couple of years and was rightfully on that 2012 Olympic team he was on the 08 team as well like he was a he like had led the Jazz to a conference finals and like they were a real contender for a long time with him like he was really really good so uh let's, let's not forget that I mean I think like Darren Williams at his best was better than Carmelo at his best I would say pretty clearly and he just fell off a cliff as soon as KG and Pierce got traded to Brooklyn so yeah we'll see I mean this was like just for like the craziness aspect well and also actually worth noting too nobody that Darren Williams trade came out of nowhere right nobody thought that was coming at we, all like that were, was a total blind we side. knew there was a little bit of conflict between Williams and Jerry Sloan but not anything like he's going to get traded or anything like that it was at the point I remember I floated the idea when that trade happened of wouldn't it be amazing if Darren Williams went back to the jazz and basically like just it, I mean it's never going to happen for a variety of reasons but that one came out of nowhere but I think part of what makes 2022 so fascinating and as you said some of these could fizzle are some of the deals that came out of nowhere Tyrese Halliburton being included and I don't think he my instinct is that he's not going to be an all-NBA player but Pacers have been certainly been more fun to watch since he got there Sabonis is looking make, good so far Sabonis is making a huge impact and will for the for the Kings and then the some of the picks and some of the elements in the Porzingis and or more in the CJ McCollum trade we'll have to see there and then it's a smaller deal but we've brought up where the Clippers could be at full strength that was actually something Matt and I talked about on the Real Gym Radio as well is the Norm Powell Robert Covington deal is one that I could see looking bigger in hindsight sort of in a way like the oh not to necessarily that extreme but Marcus Gasol to the Raptors where it's not Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors but it is still a massively important part of their story yeah I, well this is fun to, to look back at, on all this but yeah I mean I think this it's clearly in the top three and you know that Gasol trade was massive in 08 I mean I think it's still we don't know that any single transaction so far for this year will be as big as that um although from a sheer drama standpoint it did happen three weeks before the deadline so but I think in terms of uh, certainly in the kind of the modern era the Twitter era I guess that was probably had started by 2011 but uh I would say yeah I, I agree with you just in terms of like the craziness how impactful it seems at the time just kind of how fun it was the ridiculous drama finally coming to an end although I, I have a feeling there'll be more in both Philly and Brooklyn one way or another but the Simmons and Harden drama coming to an end but that's I think this was this deadline had everything it, it did <laughs> I I would lean at the moment 2011 I'm thinking back it, I'm it's it's both close enough and far enough in time that I can remember what yeah. I thought well the the mellow drama was a massive right. drama that finally mellow came to an end too. mellow and Darren Williams like the Harden has more stature but I think I thought more highly of Darren Williams and mellow and also they weren't at the same point in their career like Darren Williams when that trade happened who was 26 
James Harden is James Harden is yeah. thirty. He had two years left on yeah. his contract. James Harden is thirty-two now, and we didn't we couldn't have foreseen what happened to Darren Williams after that deal. But that felt like felt like something a little bit different. Now, could Ben yeah. Simmons be that guy? You know, maybe. But Darren but Darren Williams was a better player then than Ben Simmons has been. But also, I would argue both the Jazz and those Nets aren't as good as the current Nets could have been at full strength. Now, were they ever going to be full strength? Who the hell knows? But, you know, like it's, but we thought those Knicks and those, like that was the, you know, the the New York, New Jersey arms race thought that those two teams could be really, really good. The Knicks, of course, struck out. And like, I think hindsight has made those deals feel less significant, but they still were just gargantuan at the time. Yeah, and particularly when, I mean, this was a, pick, a trade that was made for two top three picks. Like, when's the last time their two top three picks were traded? Now, neither Favors nor Cantor was a Hall of Famer or anything, but nobody knew that at the time. All right, well, this was fun. I, I'm glad we looked back on this. We, we got lots more coming this week as well. We do have a break coming up, obviously, for All-Star. Uh, also, you can check out, of course, the NBA cast tomorrow, Toronto and New Orleans. I think we are, haven't done either of those teams so far this year, so I'm very excited for that. Uh, check that out tomorrow in the evening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.